This is the O'Reilly Bots Podcast. I'm John Bruner. And I'm Pete Skamarak. Our guest today is Ben Brown. He's the co-founder of Howdy.ai, which is a bot toolmaker that's behind BotKit. That's a popular framework that we see a lot of people using. And he is the executive producer of TalkAbot, which is a terrific conference about bots that happened in Austin a few weeks ago. Welcome, Ben. Hello. Hi, guys. Hey, Ben. Good to have you on. So um, we thought we could just sort of talk today about uh, what's going on in general in bots in your view, because you have this incredible perspective as the person behind you know, one of the really popular uh, bot frameworks. So I wonder if you could start by maybe just um, telling us what BotKit is. Sure, yeah. Uh, so BotKit is an open source node um, development tool for building bots um, that we released uh, almost a year, almost exactly a year ago, uh, on the eve of actually the Slack platform launch. We like launched in partnership with with the Slack platform, and the basic concept. You know, I'm, I'm a developer, have been a developer for a long time, and um, I really don't like to deal with the nitty gritty details of like API calls and things when I'm building my my applications. So our goal when we we sat down to build Bucket was to sort of provide developers semantic tools for creating bots um, that that spoke directly to you know how bots operate um, and the things that bot developers would need so um, even though there are sort of similarities to other types of web applications or mobile apps um, you know bots have their own conventions um, and and botkit implements those in in ways so that bot the, the the developer actually does things like writes code where the bot hears a pattern or says things um, instead of you know chat.send message um, the bot is just saying things um, so it's less technical seeming um, and really our another one of our goals is that like writing botkit code feels like you're teaching a robot to do something instead of you know writing um, you know API calls or like pro- programming right right. So do you see a lot of people, um, you know, walk in from like a, a mobile developer background and start to immediately apply what they think are like models of mobile development to bots and, and wind up going down the wrong, the wrong path? A little bit. Um, but I think more than that, we find people who are coming to building bots from completely different roles uh, than traditional developers. So hmm. people who are coming from um, content strategy or, you know, ops and things like that um, are sort of the first to come into the bot world because it doesn't follow the same path as like graphic design to web to developer, you know, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. it's sort of, you can tread your own path and, um, you know, it takes different disciplines. Um, so yeah, we see a lot of sort of early developers and then a fair amount of just normal like web developers who, um, you know, who are building or, or sort of infrastructure developers even who who are building like the node backend services. What what kind of split are you seeing uh, among developers using BotKit between building? Uh, are they primarily building internal bots, like you mentioned, uh, de- like DevOps related things, or are they building these external bots to interact with customers more? Um, and then I guess another related question would be: Are you seeing more um, adoption? of howdy for building slack bots or facebook and how is that evolving yeah great question um you know the numbers are still a little bit foggy because we don't actually 
haven't until recently done like um, measurement of the community um, outside of sort of anecdotal um, evidence and like looking at the download stats and you know talking to our developer community. But we do, as the numbers have been um, solidifying, we have we have learned about about the community and it's really really interesting. You know, from a developer perspective, I think there's probably roughly equivalent numbers of people building you know bot companies or bot apps. Um, that are for customers, as there are for developers who are building like internal chat uh, chat ops bots. Um, what we see is in, in in the stats is that there's just an enormous number of individual bots out there, right? Like it's very easy to stand up a Slack bot and connect it to your team using Botkit. It's only a couple of lines of code, um, and so we see tons and tons of bots who have two or three users. Hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Or like, or like below 50, right? Like there, there, there's a fair range there, but like not a ton of users, but you know, these are team bots that are doing DevOps or chat ops things or reporting or things like that using internal tools. You see thousands of these thousands and thousands. Yeah. Uh, however, there, there, so, so far what we've seen is that the, the distribution is not, uh, it's not one team, one bot. It's actually like six spots per team, right? Mm-hmm. So teams on Slack who are experimenting with bots and bot kit, get it, build a couple of bots. Um, very, very interesting. Um, and then on the other side, we see the bot app developers, and there's certainly a bunch of those who are who have built on Botkit and are in the Slack app store. I mean, I, they 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 launch too frequently for me to even really keep track of them. Um, but um, you know, a lot of the apps in the Slack app store are are already built on Botkit, um, which is really awesome for us. Like the Harvard Business Review just launched a bot on Botkit. Huh? Um, did did they develop it themselves, or did an agency yeah, develop they, it for them? I believe they bu- they built it themselves. Huh. Um, I, I gather from the developer who tweets at me about it that um, he, he built it himself. <laughs> okay, um, okay, and it's a really interesting bot, and um, um, it's different in and uses Slack um, features in a really uh, interesting way. So I, I don't know; it's really exciting. Just could, could you walk us through like that as an example? So what does that bot do? It sends me um, a interesting workplace article every morning. Um, but they break it down into like bullet point action items for me. So for example, one of the ones that I got the other day that I shared with my team because I thought it was hilariously relevant was like how to deal with a workaholic boss. And it was just like <laughs> use the you know Slack unfurl and like custom attachments to like l- give me this really nice, you know, easy to digest little um, piece of content. And then with like buttons below that I could continue to navigate that content and um, share it and stuff like that. So it was really nice. I'm a big fan of these, what what, what I have definitely seen emerge over the last couple of weeks even is like these 9am bots that are Mm. sort of just like notification bots. But my phone goes crazy at 9am with my poncho, (laughs) my New York Times, my purple, you know, I got one from my Pokemon Go bot the other day. And you're like, this, you know, sort of cron job goes off at nine o'clock and and my bots all, uh, you know, (laughs) wake up, which, you know, is, is, is like getting me closer and closer to my my dream every day. Right, um, right. So, you know, it's exciting. Yeah, it's been raining a lot this week in San Francisco and Poncho has been like on it. So it's 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 been great. And <laughs> I'm getting a lot of those notifications. You know, <laughs> you know this this um this moment that we're in sort of with bots seems like a, a really interesting or or perhaps awkward uh middle ground in terms of who's developing this stuff. Cuz the dream of bots seems to be that you know, especially compared to developing mobile apps, this stuff is super lightweight. And maybe you don't have to hire an agency to do it. You could just sort of be a, a person in like the, uh, the, the on-staff dev team at the Harvard Business Review and throw something together. And you don't have to learn Java. You don't have to learn Objective-C. But at the moment, um, 
you know, bots seem to be mostly accessible to this like small handful of people who have been paying fairly close attention to the emergence of um, of the platforms and the AI technology and so on. Yeah, I mean, we definitely hear that a lot. And, um, you know, it's it's an it's definitely a very interesting point in the like you said, in the ev- evolution of bots as a, you know, software genre, right? And I think, obviously, there was tons of excitement, you know, going into this six months or a year ago, where everybody thought, like, this is a wide open space. And there's like another mm-hmm. app store gold rush ready to happen. And like, you know, only a few people are going to be able to capitalize on this. And it's going to be great. And it's, it's going to be us. And like, no, that hasn't happened yet. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I, I, I look at it like this. The App Store gold rush didn't happen like on the first day of the App Store. It really kind of kicked in when in-app payments um, became available, right? And you got these people who would like give you the app for free and hook you on it. And then you would be stuck paying them a couple bucks a month for the rest of your life or like, you know, Mm -hmm. subscriptions. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you look around the, the platform ecosystems. And right now, everybody's like racing to keep up with each other. Like, oh, these guys have buttons. We need buttons. But nobody has yet, or only Facebook has begun to launch a payment option, which is like a fairly necessary thing for there to be a commercially successful bot, right? Like Mm -hmm. the best case scenario right now, if you're a Slack enterprise bot, is that you're going to pop open a web link from Slack and have somebody re-authenticate into your external website and put payment details into this other unknown or (laughs) semi-known entity. And you may never, never have seen that bot's website or icon or anything like that before because you're interacting with it in slack right yeah and it just appeared magically and who knows what this bot is doing and now all of a sudden it's asking me for my like corporate credit card number <laughs> so you know i think there's I, I this has probably been said before but um from my our perspective and talking to the developers that we see and see and, and ourselves having a arguably one of the more pop most popular bots in the slack store right now mm-hmm. is this you know like part of what's super appealing about bots is that th- there's like no accounts needed, no installs needed, like easy to easy to adopt. And like, it, it, it's there in your Slack team, right? But then another necessary component is going to be frictionless payment. Right, right. Let me double click on what you just said there, though. So the first part of that, though, I would argue is not nowhere near that reality, right? So in Slack, there's a huge, huge people. I think the excitement when they opened their platform was, Bots are, you know, Satya Nadella saying bots are the new apps. And so when you hear that, you think, oh, built, you should be building an app right now if you're a new startup. So you see all this wave of startups building bots first, right? But the reality is uh, to install a bot in Slack is an extremely heavy and painful process, right? Like if you have a, if you're at like Fidelity, and you have a Slack team, the CIO mm-hmm. needs to like, <laughs> a, you know, approve that bot to be installed. That's not going to happen. Um, so they, you can often your Slack, if you're building a Slack client, users can often individually, but if you want a bot to appear on a team, it can't DM people. It can't. So this is, you have a dev for Slack community, right? Uh, that, that you, you run. And there's constant conversations about this or people install bots even in that community and it starts DMing everybody and everybody gets angry and, um, and, and, and Slack says, okay, we're going to ban you <laughs> from the Slack store. <laughs> Can you comment? Like, do you, do you really think it's that easy to get going with bots? In a I mean, game? it's a hell of a lot easier than it ever has been before. Mm-hmm. 
Certainly. And I mean, yes, you're right. There's the, there's absolutely that factor. And I mean, if I'm thinking about it from a most desirable enterprise client's perspective, there is a gateway through that CIO or whatever, or like the admin of the Slack team that is, is an awkward thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, somebody, some admin has to install my bot. But what I understand from um, Slack, and this, they discussed this at Talkabot, was that most of the paid teams are using apps and that the apps are actually, you know, people bump into their paid limit and want to use that, continue using the apps. So they upgrade to, to paid Slack. So, so, so it's a real, it's, a, it's a real uh, motivation then that, that they're seeing real, on their platform. It's a real motivator, right. Like, but, but I guess the question is, is, is it app first or is it, so all, we have a lot of integrations in our team, but they're not, and, and we see um, other, you know, teams that often, we, you know, see what integrations they're using. And, and so like most of them are like Jira and GitHub and Google drive and things like that, which are apps first or, or websites first. Uh, and then they have an, they happen to have an integration with Slack, um, versus like, you know, I'm not going to install Poncho in my Slack, right. Uh, at least, you know, for us. So like, uh, do you, do you draw it a lot? Do you see those as different things like the Jira integration in Slack versus a bot? Um, a little bit. I mean, I think it depends on if you, um, sort of you become a bot first user of Jira because like Jira just fades into the background. Um, you know, the web, the web app, you know, Mm -hmm. um, the same way that, that I, you know, used Evernote on the web for a while. And then like the mobile app took over and I never looked back or whatever. So you know, I think there are just different aspects of the, of, uh, you know, the same, same value for sure. But um, there's a, there's an opportunity for app developers to, to, you know, to be the, the app, you know, bot first app. Um, and I don't think that there's always necessary, like uh, some other app in the background, but I think that like in most cases there probably is like, for example, with Howdy, we were like, we will, ne-, I was like, we will never have a web designer again. You know, we're <laughs> forget HTML. Um, but as things have, you know, evolved and the product has found users and those users have asked for features that, you know, we've got a more and more sophisticated website right. um, that we never really intended to build in the first place. But it's like, you know, look, there's the bots doing useful things. It's accumulating data about us. We need to expose that data, you know, somewhere. Right, um, right. And, and things like there are some things that bots just don't do well right now and probably never will do very well in a, in a chat room, like dragging and dropping, reordering a list. Mm-hmm. Right. Like that's just horrible to do, like searching and filtering. Like it's not going to be something that you do in a chat room. So. Right. And and you think again about the timeline, um, you know, comparing this to the evolution of mobile apps, uh, you know, if, if the iTunes app store opened in, what was it, 2008, probably mm-hmm. uh, the year after the iPhone came out, um, you know, it, it, it was years before uh, the real like mobile first companies um, became mainstream. And you're still seeing entire industries that are getting their very first mobile first entrant right now, right? You know, like Casper mattresses shop for a mattress on your mobile phone. (laughs) Like no one had thought of that until a couple of years ago, you know, almost a decade into into the app era. So yeah, Yeah. it it does seem, you know, premature. And and I think of, uh, you know, in my previous role, I was at Forbes and, uh, you know, we had Forbes.com and like, you know, as, as recently as 2010 or, or 2011, it still seemed crazy that like that we would see a world where the majority of readers are reading this stuff on their phones instead of yeah. their, their desktop. So, yeah, super early, right? Yeah. And I think one of the like 
incorrect assumptions that a lot of people had going into it, you know, a year ago was that all of the things that we have come to rely on um, for building web and mobile apps would be like easily available for us in the in bot world. Um, you know, it, it's a fairly straightforward task these days to scale a mobile app, mm-hmm. right? But um, wh- when you're dealing with Slack, up until very recently, it was like this bizarre WebSocket technology that like having hosting 10,000 or 100,000 WebSockets is like an insane thing that um, app developers have never had to deal with. Mm-hmm. Right? Platform makers have, but app developers, an indie app developer has never had to keep alive 10,000 or 100,000 <laughs> connections. So that's just one of the things, right? That's kind of going away now as Slack's technology changes, but there's not a CMS that's conversation specific. There's not um, metrics tools that, that are bot specific. So you're, you can use Google Analytics, you can use Mixpanel, but it's not like a turnkey solution like we have for web or apps. So all of those things have had to be built as well. And I mean, I think that that's the sort of first wave of stuff, which I think we're part of, you know, a lot of these other bot startups are part of, right? These picks and shovel bots, bot startups who mm-hmm. are like, we have to get the pieces in place so that users, developers can compose those killer apps so that the big brands can say like, those indie guys are doing, are killing us with their bots. We need to do some of these ourselves. Mm-hmm. And, you know, then we'll finally get back, you know, get into the cycle of the app store where the big money comes from, um, you know, Fortune 500 companies putting a quarter million dollar, a, a, a quarter, you know, marketing budget into software. Mm-hmm. Uh, yep. And that's just, we're not just, we're not quite there yet. It's, it's really interesting. Some of the low level stuff that you just mentioned, like dealing with the thousands of WebSockets, I'm, I'm, I lurk quite a bit on the uh, dub for Slack uh, <laughs> community. And, uh, you know, there's always interesting stuff, conversations happening there. And it's interesting to see, I think what you see is as new people come in, they tend to ask a lot of similar questions. Um, and a lot of them still don't have good answers. So um, common ones that I see pop up um, in your community are, things like, uh, what's a persistence layer for our bots, right? Like, you know, what do I do? Like, so their bot kit, um, my impression, like it, it's handling a lot of the real time, um, incoming requests and, and, you know, the logic of how the bot, you know, how the bot should respond. And then, but then there's, you know, you need to know something like personalization. What is this user asked before? What's the history of the conversation? Um, and so statefulness is another question that comes up a lot, right? Like these are the things that are below the iceberg when people say, oh, a bot will be easy. It's very like straightforward. And then they dig in and they hit these issues, right? Exactly. Exactly. You know, you don't have, you know, when you're, when you're building web apps, you don't have things like two messages coming in at different times that are connected to one another in the same way that you have with chat, right? Like one of the things that BotKit does is provides developers an ask function, right? And it, it seems really simple. You bot.ask, you know, what's your favorite color? And then there's a function that gets the answer. Mm-hmm. That's simple on the surface, but what's happening below the surface is the question is kept in memory and waiting, waiting for the answer to come in from the real-time message event pipe, which could come in immediately or could come in minutes or hours later, who knows? Um, and that question has to be like ident- or the answer has to be identified by invisible characteristics of that message, like channel ID and user ID and things like that, to be associated with the previous answer, and you know call that callback. And mm-hmm. a function, a callback function, is not something that you can store in the database. 
So it has to be kept alive during that whole course of, um, you know, the, the, the process. Now, that's not necessarily the only way or the best way to run a bot, for sure. Um, you know, when we sat down to write BotKit, we were thinking about bots as like a bot that lives on a team, not like a massive SaaS operation um, with tens of thousands of bot instances. So there has been some growing pains. And certainly we're in the BotKit community is aware of those things. And, you know, like I said it, a little while ago, you know, our kind of goal and our vision is that we're going to create the best bot tooling for developers that can that can exist, right? Not for marketing people who want to create a code-free brand bot, but for developers who are building applications. And to do that, we see more and more pieces that we could that are not sort of operationally or that are very operationally valuable, but are not technologically sophisticated enough to be like um, our killer feature, right? Right. So, right. So as an example, keeping 10,000 real-time RTM connections alive is something that we've had to figure out how to do. But why should anybody else have to figure out how to do that once the like six, 600 lines of node code has been written, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. And so I think in the next couple of months, you know, we're going to be releasing other sort of toolkits that help people who want to use BotKit actually build like an application that can get to scale and deal with some of those, those sort of nitty-gritty bot-specific problems that happen when you're actually building stuff. And I mean, look, I want, I'd want i love to continue on this, this thread. Um, one of the things that I talked about in a talk I gave a while ago was the weird technological issues we've had to deal with when building Howdy that we never anticipated and have actually been very, very complex. Huh. One of the um, primary ones would be because bots like Howdy are operating in a multi-user world, any user and the and the bot's function is like I'm going to ask Howdy to go talk to John and Pete. Mm-hmm. Well, two people could ask Howdy to go talk to John and Pete at the same time. How does the bot <laughs> manage the pro- problem of a you a human directing it to interrupt itself? Right, right, right. Like right. Which human gets to tell the bot what to do if it's already busy? And like, should the user? be interrupted, you know, in this circumstance or that circumstance, like, can it be interrupted in public, but not in private? You know, that kind of thing is very, very complicated. The higher paid person gets to ask the bot to interrupt John and Pete. You could, you could also be interrupting yourself. So this is one of the things, similar experience from our side developing on Slack, the primary mode of communication uh, for bots in Slack ends up being either slash command or DM, a direct message with a single user. Because chatter in public channels quickly gets bots uh, uh, turned off. (laughs) And so (laughs) what that means is you're having almost like an SMS exchange with a bot. And if you were doing some of those use cases you described of like searching for something or trying to do a workflow, and then someone sends something to you via that bot, or you have another search you have to do, you have to kind of stop one conversation and start another. And the bot needs to understand that. extremely complex in a simple channel. Yeah, extremely complex. And, you know, th- that's just the sort of surface of, the, of, of, of that kind of problem that we've experienced. And, um, you know, they're, they're really challenging problems. Um, yeah. Time zones, you know, all of these things that are, again, not sort of relevant to somebody looking at a phone screen and, and having their own personalized view of this one piece of software that only they are using. Now it's like, a role-playing game and everybody's taking turns and that it's changing all the time. Um, and each person is having their own hyper-personalized view of that. So it's, um, it's, it's, yeah. there's a lot of stuff that just is different enough that it, 
that I think it's taken a lot of people. And what we've seen is the developers have taken a lot of time to just just get up to speed on that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Right. I was going to say initially that it sounds like, you know, this is the emergence of, of uh, jQuery for bots so that you don't have like everyone out there animating their own buttons from scratch every time. But it actually sounds like you're doing some both lower level stuff than jQuery as far as, you know, keeping the connections open, managing the, the really infrastructural stuff and some higher level stuff than, than jQuery where you're actually guiding, you know, the, the, the behavior of these uh, bots on top of sort of the functionality that people are programming in. Feels a little more like Rails for bots than G just jQuery, right? Those are both relevant. I mean, we think about Express for bots. And, you know, we also think a little bit about, you know, if I may be so bold as to say like Adobe Creative Cloud for bots, huh. because in the recent times, you know, Creative Cloud is not just Photoshop, but is a host of free tools and resources that you can use and compose into your, you know, final product, right? Like, you use Typekit, it's not something that you just use and, and it goes away or whatever. It's not just like a desktop application, it's a service now. So, you know, we struggle. And one of the things that is challenging with open source software in general, right, is like, what is this, what is BotKit supposed to do versus what are the plugins or related ecosystems supposed to do? So, you know, we are focused on BotKit being a, uh, being the driver of like conversation and giving developers the tools to construct those micro interactions that happen in chat mm -hmm, in mm -hmm. messaging, you know, the, there, there's a whole other aspect of what's necessary to build these things, which is like natural language understanding tools. And those are, and there are, we botkit supports, um, API.ai. We support, um, Lewis from Microsoft and just recently, um, IBM Watson created a, a plugin, hmm. um, for botkit. So all of these are, you know, very sophisticated tools. They're available as services and are like, but we keep them as the, th th these are available as plug-in middleware. So, you know, those things can be developed and supported and enhanced separate from, you know, my um, ability to like publish BotKit. So let me, you, you just mentioned um, IBM Watson. So Lewis, uh, for listeners who aren't uh, familiar, that's basically Microsoft's intelligence API, uh, which is useful for bots. And then API.ai, was recently acquired by Google. Now, IBM Watson is interesting because that was just in the news in the last week because uh, I think they had their World of Watson event and um, Stuart Butterfield from Slack was there. And there's a few, we'll put links in the podcast notes to this, but yeah. um, he, he made some interesting announcements and had an interesting interview with uh, Bloomberg uh, where he mentioned they're going to partner more deeply with IBM Watson. Mm -hmm. um, it sounds like maybe making that API a little more seamless for de bot developers to use who are developing on Slack. But then he also mentioned Slack using IBM Watson to power some of their AI for Slackbot itself. Um, what, what's, your, what's your hot take on that? Yeah, hot, very hot take. Um, so, I mean, I know nothing about, uh, beyond what I've read about the Slackbot integration. Um, and I think that that's cool, although um, I question how much Slack will really gain from a Watson integration like that um, in terms of what the kind, the kind of outcomes they were talking about, like smarter, deeper linking to the documentation of Slack and things like that. Like, I don't really see how the Watson virtual agent does that, but we'll see. Um, but certainly Slackbot could be more intelligent and could have more open-ended functionality and queryability and things like that. So I look forward to that. So, so the announcement actually involved uh, the integration of IBM Watson as the intelligence backend for Slackbot? For Slackbot, yeah. Uh -huh. 
Yeah, along with some tools for developers. So it was a few different ways that they're going to partner. Right. So as far as I can, here's the hottest part of this take. Like, I don't know <laughs> of any other kind of developer-focused things besides the BotKit middleware. And I've been trying to sort this out for the last couple of days as I've been reading this news because I'm like, golly, that sounds a lot like what we've built with uh, the Watson folks for BotKit. Um, <laughs> Does anybody know if this is not BotKit? And they're like, no. <laughs> so I, I think I think there's some element of the difficulty. And I, we th this is another one of the challenges of being in the bot industry that you guys probably have. First of all, it's horrible to say bot over and over again. But like Slack bot and Slack bots and like bots in Slack are all, you know, sort of three different things and they all sound the same. And so I suspect that when somebody from IBM went out and said, yeah, yeah, we've got like, developer tools for Slack, making Slack bots easier with Watson, uh -huh. that kind of got jumbled into like one story instead of what might have been like actually two or three stories that are Interesting. Like only semi-related. Right, right, right. But it's, but it's exciting. And I mean, the guy, what's, what's really exciting to us at, at, as the maintainers of BotKit about things like um, the Watson middleware. And, you know, just two, three weeks ago, we also had a, a large contribution from Microsoft Bot Framework. And this is what's exciting to me. Like, IBM Watson built the BotKit middleware mm -hmm. and contributed it to our open source project. Like IBM, and we're a six-person company, you know, with a free open source tool. You know, Microsoft Research contributed thousands of lines of code and inc an incredible amount of complexity and capability to these developers that are, that's free to use in, via our tool. So, mm -hmm. you know, that gives me a real positive hope and good feel about this sort of phase of technology and like apps because you know that i don't think that that traditionally happens as much where um there's a leading edge of development from big players but are that are giving you know contributing it way down to where the developers actually are and um you know i i i, I it's great to work with those yeah. folks and it's just like surprising to me every day when i get a call from somebody at, at at ibm or whatever and they say hey we've chosen botkit to to you know be the first place where we roll out these new tools like yeah, yeah. Yeah, the community is incredibly collegial. I mean, at this point, I, I'm, uh, you know, I think uh, all of us are involved in a, a couple of different kind of community wide, uh, you know, roundtables and, and smaller events mm -hmm. and stuff like that. And uh, just the, the degree to which all of these people are accessible and the way that the leaders from these different companies all kind of talk to each other in a, you know, in a very casual and, and helpful way uh, is, is, is really impressive. Yeah, and I mean, you know, so we just had our talk about event in um, at the end of September, and we had a workshop day, and we had uh, so I did a bot bot kit section of the workshop in the morning, and then we had the guy from Microsoft Research talking about the Microsoft Bot Framework, the guy from uh, one of the tech leads from Facebook platform, and then one of the tech leads from Slack's platform, um, and al along with the Dashbot CEO, right? So like, and, and you know. The actual head of the tech platform of Facebook was in the audience and he was fielding questions, you know, and, and like defending decisions that they'd made. Mm -hmm, um, and mm -hmm. it was really, really awesome, you know, that he's he came and not only did he come, but he like sat there next to everybody and was like, yeah, yeah, I know, like the payment cards suck right now or whatever, you know, um, <laughs> right, it was right. really, really cool. And um, again, I don't think that that happened all that often, or at least in my experience of being a web pioneer and being in, in the app world, like. There was a whole lot of competition from the very get-go um, back then, whereas there's a lot. It seems to be a lot more sharing, and I think that that's partially due to the fact that it's sort of exciting and inspiring to be part of this stuff because we're like, 
oh my gosh, computers are going to talk like we're building robots. So mm-hmm. it breeds a little bit more of enthusiasm and collaboration, but also that the challenges that present themselves, like I said, are not like worth owning the solution to in a lot of cases. So Ben, I want to go back touching on that to something uh, that you were beginning to describe a little bit earlier around the platforms and the capabilities for the platforms. In particular, you mentioned, for instance, mobile payments. This kind of reflects this interesting tension that uh, that I hear all over the bot community, where a lot of people are into bots because they're like, down with the app store, I'm moving into this like new freewheeling area over here where there's no goddamn app store. And then mm-hmm. they get into the new freewheeling era, area and they're like, uh, okay, well, let's have a bot store and um, it'd be great if someone could provide a uniform uh, you know, payments platform and uh, we need some standards in here because the quality is uneven. You know, so it sounds like uh, you know, there, there's, sometimes you hear people kind of wishing for what is essentially an app store approach again. Um, is that, is, how, do you, how do you see like, the evolution of, of uh, bots compared to uh, the, you know, the mobile app world? Has everyone mm-hmm. learned from it and they're like dedicated to avoiding it? Or are we just kind of hurtling toward exactly the same situation? I mean, I would say we're hurtling towards the same kind of situation, but it's just like, you know, a 10 year arc. Uh, uh-huh. And it, it, so there's lots of opportunity to be had along the way for small, small, medium and large companies. You know, look, what's wrong with the app store is that it's polluted with garbage. And mm-hmm. the only people who are making money anymore are Google, Facebook and Amazon. Mm-hmm. So that's why people are looking for an alternative, not because like the app store payment system is no good. Mm-hmm. Like that's amazing. You know, when I grew up, my dream of being <laughs> a software developer meant that like maybe I would get a, a blanket at the, um, you know, flea market and sell five and a quarter floppy disks that I like copied at my, my at home on my IBM, uh-huh, you know, uh-huh. 8088 computer, right? Like the fact that like mobile payment I could pay with a thumbprint and like some app developer somewhere made 99 cents is like, is, is still incredible and incredibly valuable to the world of like the ecosystem of software development. Right. So yeah, we need directories and stuff. We need <laughs> um, payment vendors that like can standardize some of these things. You know, I think that Facebook has a, a really good angle on it, but there's some severe limitations on what you can actually accept payment for on Facebook. Like you have to actually be buying a physical thing right now and can't be mm. doing digital content payments and things like that. So, you know, I still can't get my $4.99 a month as a weather bot. Right, right, right. What about the discovery aspect? So I mentioned issues with like bots that are DMing everybody in a team. And so I think I think the wall that I see people hit over and over again in in, in your community uh, who are building new bots, one of them is, okay, I built my bot, now what? Um, and so you could argue, okay, well, if there was this awesome app store and everybody went there and was installing bots, that'd be great. But beyond that, it's not like your phone where there's a home screen with like, you know, the icons that you've installed and those are the apps that you start using and there's like a land grab. It's more that you're already using a messaging platform, whether it's Facebook or Slack. And it's more like the Facebook newsfeed problem of how do I get in the newsfeed? And like Zynga would pop in there and then eventually the powers that be kill Zynga from popping Mm -hmm. up. And Mm -hmm. so like the, but right now there's no even feed algorithm. So it's, it's uh, it's it's a little bit challenging. It seems like for bot developers, to, like there's no real estate in a messaging stream where people can see your bots or get discovered. Do you think that's part of the problem? Yes, a little bit. I think I have two answers to that. You know, one is in in Slack. I think 
there's a huge opportunity for them to have like a channel plugins tab where you know you can quickly search and filter the available bots and apps in the app store and like enable that bot and have it come alive in that channel immediately mm-hmm. right and that's just some nothing that i can do and nothing that any developer can make happen like it's on the platforms to give us the capability of doing that kind of thing and i think that there's opportunities for like intelligence in that too it's like this channel looks like it has a lot of dates like here are calendar bots or whatever right right you mm-hmm. have a lot of mm-hmm. files these are file management bots um you know i think Intro, the bot introduction kind of thing is is it, it, it would be really interesting where the smarter the smarter the channel can be the better it's going to be for the bot ecosystem even if it was just like autocomplete of bots in the chat room that like suggested potential bots that you could use to do an action or handle an event i think that that would be a big step forward the other thing is you know Slack is like a walled garden with walled gardens inside of it. And, we, you know, part of the problem is that like, you know, you, you, you install, you know, I have 10 Slack channels, but my howdy doesn't follow me from Slack to Slack to Slack. I have to, it's mm-hmm. 10 separate howdies. And so we have like, you know, the, the same problem that you have with like identity in Slack, you have with app installs in Slack. Mm-hmm. And another one of those sort of core components that I would identify aside from like, you don't need to sign up or sign in to use the software and, and, and aside from payment is like social portability of these things or like group portability. So I've recently like looked at the um, Cisco Spark APIs, right? One of the interesting things that they have in their bot APIs is that your bot is like, a, is it like, an, is like an email address. And that bot can be added to any group anywhere. And you, you can add anybody from any organization into a channel. And so huh. what that allows potentially is that like you and me are in a channel together. We're using this calendaring bot. You go over to another project on another team. You're like, ah, oh, I want that calendaring bot, and you know it's just as simple as inviting it from one channel to another channel. Hmm. There's no installed permissions and all that stuff. So plus, plus it's understanding of your account is portable, right? And and it moves right, over. Account, you are you, no matter what group you're part of, and things like that. So I think in a, you know I I would identify that same exact sort of lack of capability in Facebook as one of the reasons why we haven't seen like more exciting growth stories from Facebook bots. Like if I can't simply introduce myself, my friend to the bot in the context of the chat, like it loses half the appeal of a bot. Um, and, mm-hmm. and the cool things that bots can do, I think the coolest things don't happen in a DM. They happen in a group conversation, right? And I mean, I'm not the first person to say this uh, at all, but I, I definitely see that playing out. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm excited to think about the next quarter or two quarters of platform features where we are going to start seeing like payment cards where you know in-app purchases will be possible um i think we are going to start seeing a little bit more portability between or like inclusion of inclusion of bots in group conversations making that easier things like that so you know i think that that's going to really change the the dynamic um because then then pete to your point earlier like then the admin doesn't have to go and install it it's just like sort of followed me along Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And, you know, my, my dream is that I have like, you know, a bot, a, a little, you know, horde of bots, horde of bots. around <laughs> that, that, that like, you know, um, that wherever I am, do do my bidding. Um, and, you know, uh, I think that we'll, we'll get there, but still a little while, a little, little bit longer than everybody thought. The, the other thing you touch on, there's a lot of L- Lily Chang from Microsoft uh, spoke at Bot Day and touched on some of these topics as well. Like there's these subtle distinctions between bots as personal agents and bots for teams. And 
there's something powerful about like when you say your horde of bots, like if I've been, I have this history of interacting with this bot, I feel like that should come along with me and it should learn from me. Um, and the way that some of the, like if it's in a Facebook group and it's only active in this one group and then I start talking to it somewhere else and it's like, it has amnesia, that's kind of a weird <laughs> experience, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Robert Hoffer talks about like, um, Dory bots or whatever, right? Like bots that just don't have no memory. People are still figuring out like, how do I onboard users? And they're still struggling with that problem. And they haven't gotten yet to the part of like, how will I keep a memory of what's the important pieces of context that I can keep in memory as the conversation is conducted over the course of many weeks or months or whatever, right? Like, I have faith, I have faith. And you know what, one of the things that I I find fascinating is that like, you know, I'm dubious about the future of API.ai as much as I like them. Like I saw what happened to Wit when they got bought by Facebook. I expect mm-hmm. that like API.ai will become like Google intense and then it will only work on Android and it'll be useless to me eventually. Hmm. So like I went in, I went out and I looked at the freely available open source NLP stuff. And there are like two or three really interesting um, NLP tools. I actually tweeted this at you the other day, Pete, right? Like there's mm-hmm. like NLP compromise, parts of speech tagger. There's like a... Uh, classifier that's available. I took those three things and I built like a little restful API around them. And like, all of a sudden I had like parts of speech tagging for every message that I, that came through my system stored in a local database, not being shared with and transmitted across the internet and shared with Facebook or Google. And like, it's something that those guys don't give me, right? Like, Mm -hmm. oh, this is a noun. This is a verb. This is the conjugation of these verbs. Like these tools are all available, but I don't know what to do with them really. Mm-hmm. Like, what piece of the sentence do I log and remember? Like, how is it relevant to, to Howdy or a bot that I'm building that, like, you know, once you said Austin? Like, I mean, it's, I get it. Like, it yeah. certainly could be relevant, but I don't really have the expertise yet to, like, collect a, you know, useful corpus of information about a person besides just to record the raw data. And I don't really want to do that because there's all sorts of privacy concerns. Yeah. The other thing that, that we've noticed, I mean, this is a pretty wide open field in another sense, which is, yes, there are open source libraries. And I, I think a lot of the APIs that you mentioned earlier, like the Watson stuff, they're really just uh, restful services around that kind of tech that you could get open source. Um, but what that tech doesn't really do, it, like we are in a new world of conversational data where, you know, it's more like Twitter, where you have these ad hoc conversations with slang and emojis. That's what how people talk in the workplace now. And that's very different from the Stanford NLP parser, which expects New York Times articles. Right, right, right. right. <laughs> and, and these things just don't work in the same way. So it's better, you can definitely get off the shelf open source stuff. And that's better. That's great. And, and it's a great start. But there's so much more that people will be doing, I think, on conversation specifically. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, you know, one of the the axes that I like to grind about this stuff is that um, there's not going to be some sort of holistic one, one size fits all platform tool or approach for this stuff, just like web and mobile stuff. It's all composed of a million tiny little microservices, Mm -hmm. some of which you build, some of which you get for free, some of which are services in the cloud provided by smaller, large companies. So you know, I look out, I look out there and I'm like, look, we have a, we have a metrics component of our product. And then there's like three other metrics things for bots. Mm-hmm, you mm-hmm. know, who cares? Um, you know, I, I alluded to this earlier, kind of talked about this earlier, but like we see our offerings as for developers who want to build bots, hmm. developers, 
like there are many other tools that are for like marketers who want to build bots or you know admins who want to build bots we don't we don't purport to be a code free solution in any way right like we're like for people who want to write code mm-hmm. um and those are large and and probably not overlapping markets um so i think there's just plenty of space for uh, for for all different kinds of approaches to these to these problems. So Ben, you're you're one of the more optimistic people I think we we've talked to in the in the world of bots and I'm curious like you have this unique visibility um given that you have the the you know the framework and you have all these new people every day um with new use cases for bots. What are some interesting um examples and patterns you mentioned? You, you mentioned one earlier uh, you know, the Harvard Business Review bot, like what are, what other things are, are you think are exciting and new that you're seeing happening? Yeah. So, I mean, I like the alert kind of, or like notification bots. I think those are useful just because it brings me news and information to the place that I, I already live mm-hmm. inside Slack or inside Facebook Messenger. So those are really ha- helpful. These are sort of similar, but I like the unfurling content experiences that I'm starting to see now. Um, like the New York Times bot or like Purple um, I really like those kind of, you're having a conversation with a news expert um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. things. And I think that there's a lot of really interesting capability there, whether that's a pre-programmed conversation or like a semi-live conversation, um, which in, in, in the case of Purple is um, sometimes happens, they like the editor picks up and actually responds to you. For the audience, could you describe what you mean by bots that are unfurling or what, what does the Purple bot do? Sure. So like you get a message that says, um, you know, new Hillary Clinton emails released tied to wiener and um you know it says like more wiener or less wiener you know and i get to like (laughs) choose my own adventure through this like um uh, multi or non-linear um story wienerverse yeah yeah wienerverse and um i just love that i get to that this is just totally totally normal talk talking about breaking news um Uh and 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 you know you so you in the end you read you know what is it probably a short news article but you got to choose your own path through it and if you did if it wasn't interesting to you you know you got to skip ahead and it, and it held together like a conversation hmm. so i like those i really like this new kind of thing that i've seen a couple times where um the bot is you know it's this started off as the concept of like a support mechanism where a bot would open up a channel to a real person and for a, li- for a brief moment you'd have like some other person you know you're talking directly to a live person mm-hmm. and and mm-hmm. now i'm seeing that applied to all sorts of like expert areas or tasks where I can say, hey, bot, what, you know, I'm having this problem with JavaScript and it's going to go out and find a JavaScript expert and connect me to that person. And I'm going to chat with them for five huh. minutes and they're going to, you know, disappear out of my Slack again. Right, so I think right. that's really, really interesting. Um, we, we've talked about a couple of those um, bots on this program. Uh, we, we did like a, a live dramatic reading of Pete's experience with Sensei, which is one of the ones yes. that connects you to... to so in, in this case, he asked for legal advice and the guy we got was not uh, that good. But for I bet that for developers especially, it's an awesome. Well, look, I, I, one of my favorite bots is one that files files from Slack into Dropbox because uh-huh. I'm like a Dropbox folder person and I need my files there and not in Slack. Mm-hmm. That's just one of my favorite things that's just like automatically happening. You know, it's hard to talk about what bots I like or things that I see that are cool because... Just like you said, like, unfortunately, that we none of them have really hit mass adoption, right? Mm-hmm. So if I ask a question for about lawyer advice, like how many people are on the other side of that? Like 200, right. you know, 1,000 people out there, 5,000. You know, we talk about this all the time about 
you know, we're, we're a startup. We're like talking about our business model and our potential revenue streams and all this stuff. You look at Slack, how many, they just passed a big milestone of like 2 million daily active paid users or whatever, like great for mm-hmm. Slack. Mm-hmm. But like, if I need to have like half a million users of my own, like yeah, I have to yeah. convert a quarter of all Slack yeah. users. Like there's That's no nothing. way. Right, right. So, and the same thing goes with Facebook Messenger. It's like, yeah, there's 900 million people out there on Facebook Messenger, but they're not using the bots yet. Right, yet. right. So the, those network effects aren't quite there yet. And especially if you're trying to do something with like the, the you know, two-sided bot, uh, yeah. you know, market, that is not a liquid market because yeah. uh, yeah. you know yeah. then you need not only the people who are using it on one end but also the people who are using it on the other end yeah yeah Here, look here's another really exciting bot that i that i that i'm super stoked about um is that thington oh, um, yeah. and that's like a sort of outside of the normal bot that you hear uh or, or you know it's not it's not a slack bot it's this own ios app that connects internet of things devices into what is effectively a chat room and, mm-hmm. um, you know, I've talked to Tom and, uh, um, who's, who's one Matt. of the co-founders and, and Matt, right. Yeah. And I know how it works. They actually gave me, mm, I shouldn't even say, but they gave me access to their like web socket, um, of events. And it's like a chat room. It really is a chat room. <laughs> and like the bot, you know, your lights are a bot and your nest is a bot and they like exchange messages and like do things for each other. And that kind of thing really, really excites me. And I think that their approach is really, really valuable and they have something that only like Foursquare and like Google have, which is the ability to tell who, where I'm at, mm-hmm. how fast I'm going, what the weather is like where I'm at. Mm-hmm. And like, mm-hmm. that's really, really exciting stuff for like bots to be able to do more sophisticated stuff. Like the fact I, that it can tell that not only am I not home, but my wife is not home. Mm-hmm. And then that's yep. going to emit a usable event to other software devices that's like nobody's home, which is so different than... Ben's home, Katie's home, Ben is not home, right, nobody's right. home. And now all of a sudden I, as a developer, can listen to that event and build a bot to like take advantage of that content. Like that's super, super, super cool. Yeah, so I'm yeah. A- I'll, I'll, I'll echo that. Uh, there's something really interesting happening uh, with Thington because, uh, so we, we talked before about um, Amazon uh, Echo uh, uh, on a few podcasts and that's one of the stronger home devices related to bots right now. Um, and so since we did those episodes, we started with, I had just gotten the echo since then, my, my wife, uh, Kathy has actually, uh, instrumented quite a bit of our home. And uh-huh. so it will do those kinds of things like saying who's home, who's coming in. And, um, I had her try Thinkton, and the thing that she said was really interesting about it is similar to Twitter. You can follow local devices, right? And so when people start putting more things right now, everybody's siloed in the same way, like you said, in Slack, I'm siloed on my team. But when we can start bridging those things, there's something really interesting. So um, we can follow like a local weather station. We can follow, you know, somebody else in the neighborhood's camera. Um, And even on Twitter, for example, SF has these air raid sirens that go off and I follow the SF siren. And it's kind of funny because it, it basically repeats whatever the siren is saying, uh, you know, so if there's so an like, emergency, I'll be aware. And doesn't yeah. it every, every Tuesday at noon, doesn't it just like tweet? Woo. Yeah. <laughs> so it, we're, it's definitely more of a toy right now, but you can see like if you connect these dots, that could be really cool, right? Well, you know, Thinton is operating in a super difficult world of like each provider doesn't want to play with the other providers because they all have their own home hubs and all of this stuff. And that that's just going to be a mess for a long, long time. And I see bots as a way that that can actually 
come together much sooner than than later. And like apps like Thinkton can sort of play host to that, where Thinkton is the only way I'm going to get like my Nest talking to my Ecobee, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, mm-hmm. and, and and if I, you know, I and I speak with no authority uh, to speak about their plans or capabilities in the future, but I imagine a world where I can build a bot using Botkit into Thinkton. Mm-hmm. And, I, and now I'm my piece of my own Internet of Things device that I built on a Mac mini in my closet is, is a Thinkton device and hearing and responding to things that Thinkton says or does. So, so we, we actually, you're reminding me of something else. We actually have a plant bot in our uh, office. So we, we're growing some bots. We'll probably do a blog post about this later, but uh, we connected it to Slack. And so the bot like lets us know how it's doing, or the plant lets us know how it's doing. It's called Lime Bot. It's a lime tree. So uh, I, I think like, it's interesting. Do you see a lot of Internet of Things crossover in what people are building right now on uh, Howdy? Absolutely. I mean, we see a lot of like turn on the lights, turn off the lights kind of stuff, you know, using um, if then then that maker channel using the, you know, uh, APIs that are available for these like, you know, door locks and things like that. Um, a lot of interest in that. A lot of interest in like Alexa skills that connect one or more of those devices together in a way that like can't be done via Alexa natively. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, one of the cool things about these, about all of this really is that like, it's almost, it's a nearly homogenous stream of like simple JSON events, right? Like Facebook sends me a JSON object that says like, Ben said this to you. And like Thington sends me a JSON object that says like the, the light switch from off to on. Like it, th- th- as for, from a developer's perspective, these things are like nearly identical. Um, and like from a bot kit perspective, like they're all sort of homogenous things um, that can like be heard and responded to. So weaving these things together in like more personalized ways and w- working around those like limitations that are imposed by, you know, Google versus Amazon um, I think is going to be an increasingly popular thing. And that like, I wouldn't be surprised, for example, if we just start seeing like lots of open source, you know, node bots that are like, oh, this is the Lifix bot. And this is the Nest bot. Um, mm-hmm. This is the first thing I do when I buy any device. Like I just bought a <clears throat> Lifex light bulb. I immediately went and figured out its API. I connected it to Slack. It Now when the lights turn on, it's, it emits a message in Slack. You know, it's like, you know, <laughs> and then it, like, then the ideas start, you know, so. My favorite thing about the LifeX bulb is that you can connect it to Alexa and have it blink the light when the alarm goes off, which is like, huh. that was one of those things where I was like, this is fabulous. Like, I would have never anticipated this, <laughs> this feature. It's kind of ridiculous, but like, it, it really um, you know, increases the impact of us saying like, Zelda, you better put that Game Boy away in three minutes. <laughs> right, Pun- right. Punishment right. bots, basically. Yeah, right? yeah the exactly. Thing. The bot has more authority than you do in this case. Yeah, you know, I, I think Thinkton is, uh, really represents like a new, a new architecture for developing these kinds of um, conversations. And it makes me think of a point that Pete made in his talk at uh, Bot Day a couple of weeks ago. Um, that uh, bots present this opportunity to have sort of fuzzy AI-based APIs underneath everything. Mm-hmm. And so, so what Thinkton has realized is that, you know, we're not just going to create like a giant API that's going to have a lights on event and we're going to like throw that into the stream. And if you connect to it, you know, with a persistent connection, you can see it. it it's, a, it's like we're, we're just going to sort of put all of this stuff out here and, and each bot, each component that lives in it is free to kind of make use of the stream, correspond with other things in it, interpret what's going on in its own way. 
Uh, mm-hmm. it, it's 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 a very like webby way of thinking about it. Yeah, and I mean, I think that's one of the core values of these bots is that like by the nature of their publicly publishing information about their activities, that other bots can use that information and respond to it as if they're all people or as if they're everybody is a robot, you know, either way. Mm-hmm. Um, and those kind of, you know, when I hear the, you know, Mike, Mike uh, Brevoort from um, Beep Boop mm-hmm. um, was talking about this for a while, but like the composable, composing bots into more sophisticated behaviors, like is, is just such an exciting angle to me. And I think just makes a lot of sense, but it's exactly like you said, like, hey, a light got switched on. Anybody care? You know, maybe nobody does. Maybe somebody does. You know, it's 75 degrees. Like maybe your bot wants to do something about that. Maybe it doesn't. Mm -hmm. Um, But as long as it sort of does it in public, all sorts of emergent behaviors can happen. Then you add in like AI and like machine learning, even the simple classification stuff. It's like, oh, man start to see like it's it's interesting so it feels like what we have is a blurring of like a back channel to the real world where some of it is conversations that were happening in email before or 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 verbally and now those are happening in slack or in facebook and you have a back channel or like you said like a fire hose of that and then devices and applications like salesforce and other things are can also just pump information in and it so in a way, it's it's kind of like uh, in the Matrix where Neo was looking at the stream of stuff and saying, "Oh, there's a woman in a red dress, you know, walking down the street." And like that's kind of the substrate that's being built uh, in in chat, I guess, right? right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think being forced to um, compose a message that is human readable, like, really forces people to like bubble up the core value or like value proposition of their app or software or notification or whatever, right? Like, you've got to get this value into your one line of text. So it's very information dense and very, very considered what, what that message is. And so it makes it um, a lot easier to, to start to like machine, machine those things together. That's really cool. So I, I, I agree with Pete. You sound like absolutely one of the, the, the more optimistic, more hopeful people in the, in the bot scene. And, and by the way, the, the, the bot scene is more optimistic and more hopeful than I had appreciated. We, we took this like show of hands during bot day and asked people how optimistic they're feeling and like you know 75 or 80 percent of the people in the room raised their hands and said they were feeling really good about them and then at the end of the day after hearing like seven hours of talks about the technical challenges and the platforms and the toolkits and whatever uh, we asked people if they felt better or worse and it was unanimously better there was like one person who raised his hand and said worse but so that's awesome i I feel good about this so me too i mean every time i like we were just saying, every time I connect a new Internet of Things device to my chat room, like I feel good about the future. I mean, I was just watched a video of the IBM Watson people talking about how like the same API that you can use to build a Slack bot can also literally be used to control a robot and what it does and how it talks. Mm-hmm. Like a physical bipedal robot with like two eyes and two hands. You know, like these are the same technologies we're actually building you know the robotic future so i think there's a lot to be inspired by and and like positive about even if it takes a little bit longer than than we all wanted to ben brown thank you so much for coming on the program uh if listeners want to find you online see what you're up to uh where should they go uh you can find me on twitter my username is at ben brown and uh we have a great blog filled with technical uh, information, but also a series of videos that were recorded at our Talk About event in September. Um, it's blog.howdy.ai. 
um, or search for Howdy on Medium, and you can find those. We also have a monthly meetup that is starting in Austin in November, uh, which you can find out about on Howdy.ai as well. But our first one in November has a speaker from IBM, actually, and speaker from Message.io, which is a, another uh, bot building tool. So very, very cool here in Austin. Nice. Well, thank you so much, Ben. It's been great to chat. My pleasure, guys. I was so excited to be part of it. Thanks for joining us for another episode of the O'Reilly Bots podcast. Remember to sign up for O'Reilly's AI newsletter by going to O'Reilly.com slash bots. And also take a look at how to watch the videos from the O'Reilly Bot Day program on that site as well. We'll see you next week. I'm John Bruner. And I'm Pete Skamarok. 